Just a reminder, everyone, Lost with Friends is now a monthly show, and you can get it early and uninterrupted over at Content Club, our newly rebranded Patreon page that's still available at patreon.com slash clockshelves. You can get uh, the monthly Lost with Friends early and uninterrupted. You could get Paul and All, which of course features some of your favorite guests you've often heard on Lost with Friends. You can get MCU and me. Uh, you can get all of that plus exclusive stuff that is only going to be behind that paywall, only available at Content Club uh, from Clockshelves Entertainment, available at patreon.com slash clockshelves. Check it out. Uh, maybe help us keep the mics and lights on. Throw some dough if you choose to do so. Content Club, available at patreon.com slash clockshelves. This is a Clockshelves Podcast Network production. of MCU and me. As always, I am your host, Paul Casey. We are covering Daredevil Season 1, Episodes 1 through 3, and I am absolutely delighted to have the gentleman on here with me to discuss these episodes. Go ahead and reintroduce yourself, sir. My name is Kevin Zane, aka Clock Shelves Powerhouse of Podcasting. Good evening, Paul. It's been too long. Glad to be back. It has definitely been too long. This is the second TV series in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that you are helping me launch here, sir. Uh, the first, of course, being Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. um, because much like myself, you're one of the only people that I know when it comes to the MCU that has watched or it well in my case plans to watch just about everything and not just oh i only watch the movies or oh i watch this show but not that show or what have you you're something of a purist kind of like myself in terms of the entire uh, scope of the mcu so when it came time to do the netflix series i you know i i was going through old school term, the Rolodex, if you will. And um, one of the names that kept popping up over and over again. And eventually I, I sent a text and I said, Hey, my friend, I need the powerhouse of podcasting. Do you want to talk some daredevil? Kevin Zane, of course, pops up on the list. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'd call it a purist, uh, but definitely a completist. There is nothing thus far here in uh, November of 2021 as we're recording that I have missed. So I am always going to be there for you when it comes to things like this. I assume I may be the only one when it comes uh, time for something like Iron Fist or Inhumans. <laughs> there is definitely going to be some uh, times that you are on later on because there are certain things, I'm not going to lie, that I haven't necessarily watched that I know that you have. So I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to enjoy that sort of uh, role reversal there. 
And yes, it is November of 2021. Um, I have been out of the podcasting game for a little bit for those sort of keeping track. If you're sort of following along and you hear little bits and pieces of the real life bleeding into what we're talking about in the in the podcasting world. Um but we are uh, discussing Daredevil. Now, I, I actually said this to you before we started, and I kind of went back on my word in terms of I have a lot to say, so I'm going to want to get right into it. But of course, Kevin and I don't get to catch up uh, in depth as much as uh, we would like. So we talked for a little bit beforehand, but I have a lot of feelings on uh, these, the, the, not just these episodes, but sort of the, the Marvel uh, Netflix series and whatnot, but I, I kind of want to get your opinion first, Kev. One, have you watched this uh, Daredevil since it was originally uh, aired or streamed or what have you? And two, how do you feel about the the Netflix? I mean, obviously we'll get into it in a in a little bit more detail as we go through, but the fact that it was able to do um, sort of a, a darker corner or pocket, as we often refer to them here on the show, uh, version of the, the MCU. So as far as me, uh, when I've watched this or how many times, uh, I watched it when it was brand new. Uh, when it first came out, I was very excited for it. Uh, had a lot of hype behind it and, in my opinion, lived up to it. Spoiler alert for thoughts later down the line. But uh I went back and watched uh, every time they'd come out with a new season, I'd say. So prior to season two, I'd watch season one again. Uh, prior to season, I think the Defenders was in between, maybe. So I watched everything leading up to Defenders and then probably watched Daredevil season one and two and probably Defenders into season three of Daredevil. Uh, maybe even for Punisher, too. I've, I've seen this quite a few times. Yeah. These episodes, at least, that we rewatched, uh, that we're talking about in this episode, and you—that was a two-part question. Um, <laughs> as far as Marvel uh, going grittier, uh, it was kind of a shock to see exactly how violent it got. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure I want to call it a pleasant surprise because you know you're you're not. Uh, wanting to call any sort of violence pleasant, but, uh, it was, I don't want to say it was great to see because it's actually quite brutal at times. Um, but I liked that the universe expanded, put it that way, but they kept it grounded. Now, whether they're going to, uh, keep that canon that this is all in the same universe going forward i've got a feeling we're going to find out pretty soon but uh right there in the first episode of daredevil they mentioned the incident and we learned you know that's what they're calling it the incident you know when the aliens came down and attacked new york city and left hell's kitchen in ruins uh they let you know right off the bat we're in that world uh but this is a much darker corner of that same world and i loved looking into it and seeing what they came up with. That is definitely one of the things that I like. And we've talked about it, um, on the two, almost two complete seasons so far of agents of shield that we've covered, um, in the coverage of the first season of agent Carter as well. Uh, the fact that the, the TV series do because that was very much popcorn stuff, right? Like, 
That was, you know, that was on network TV, 8 p.m. on a, on Tuesday or Wednesday night, whenever it aired. Uh, so that was very mild. So the jump to this drastic violence and blood, you know, and murder every episode pretty much was, was it was drastic. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and it's and it is nice to again, not nice, not being the word like you said, but um it is well, no, I, you know, I mean, I'm gonna say nice, but I, I have the, you know, and I understand the the most, if not all, of the audience understands what I mean when I say it is a nice change of pace to see sort of a darker, grittier version uh, of the MCU on TV, uh, you know, Netflix being considered TV here, like you said, broadcast TV versus a streaming service or what have you. Um, with regards to the, the canon aspect, I mean, I know there's, there's been a lot of, in, in present day, there's a lot of rumors about different things and what have you. Um, we actually covered here in a bonus episode um, uh, for the, I believe it's on Patreon only, um, sort of this idea, the, this rumor that's, that's kind of floated around um, that... Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel Studios, didn't necessarily like the concept that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and possibly Agent Carter existed because, uh, you know, he wanted it to just be the films and what have you. And, and for anybody, can, they can go listen to that if they if they didn't listen. Uh, Kevin's on there. Several other people are on there sort of giving their thoughts on, on and I lay it out a lot more. Um but I believe on this, uh, Kevin Feige gets a credit, which I don't think is 100% the case on some of the other things. Um, but I know that there was, from from my, from what I remember, there was sort of talk at least of like, this kind of has the approval of the film side of Marvel Studios at the time because there wasn't such a thing as Disney Plus. And it was sort of, this is what a Marvel TV show should be, not that's the mild sort of version or, you know, case of the week or what have you um, that agents of shield had and agent carter had to a certain extent or whatever that this is sort of what a marvel tv series within the scope of the mcu should be you know what i mean yeah absolutely and uh if you look at it from that perspective is like after these tv shows started coming out and showing you that uh you can do something uh, i don't even do we even call them tv shows I mean, they were released all at once. They were on Netflix. They were never actually on TV. So Netflix series versus TV shows, that's an argument we can have. But anyway, when these Netflix series started, um, it kind of began a term for the MCU as a whole because it showed you can do things differently uh, than what had been going on for, because up to that point, you can say that a lot of those, uh, MCU films had been very, uh, formulaic, you know, not that they weren't good. I enjoyed them obviously, or I wouldn't be sitting here talking about them, but, um, they just showed with this Netflix stuff that things could definitely be done differently. And it 
began to show in the films as well after this. Hey everyone, it's James, recurring guest on Paul and All. Just taking the time out here to let you know about a special bonus episode of Paul and All available right now on Content Club. In it, Paul and I discuss a failed pilot, How I Met Your Dad. We were prepared for How I Met Your Father. Yes, there are two different shows. This episode will never be released in the main feed, so go check it out right now at Content Club, only at patreon.com forward slash clockshelves. Thank you. And I mean, a lot of people have sort of considered the um, the I don't want to cycle or what have you of the films to sort of be seasons, you know, with with Avengers, the first Avengers film being sort of the one, you know, uh, uh, something of phase a fin- one, phase two, phase three. Yeah, the yeah, each being sort of a of a finale sort of thing, and then of course Endgame uh, being. But by that same respect, you could say that these thirteen episodes is just one long movie. And therein, when I when I messaged you not too long ago, and I said I have a lot that I want to say, therein lies one of the big things that I wanted to to sort of talk about because this is an issue and I actually um our friends Ellsworth and Jake I actually had them on an episode of my other show Paul and all to sort of talk about this concept because you said you know uh television shows versus uh, Netflix shows things like that and they did um it was an episode I called debate and switch and it was sort of traditional tv watching versus binge uh tv watching and i listened i had thoughts as i was listening <laughs> and and this is something that i don't want to say i have an issue with these b- these being the netflix series um because it's not just the netflix series that do this it, it's actually something of an issue that i had with uh with Breaking Bad. Um, it's an issue that I kind of had with Sons of Anarchy, which, as you know, I'm not necessarily a fan of Breaking Bad, but I am a fan of Sons of Anarchy. So I'm saying, uh, you know, about a show I don't necessarily like and a show that I do like. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, on in the vein of Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul did it as well, where I feel like, and I, and I've, I, rewatching these first three, I sort of got the same thing where, it it is more like a long film versus tv episodes and what i mean by that is when i this and this is just me personally when i watch a tv show even a serialized show which i love serialized television i was actually just talking about this with one of my new co-workers recently um because i found out that he is a professional wrestling fan so of course him and i had an instant kinship and I made the comment to him that I am not, and this gets me into some arguments with our friend Zach, sometimes you as well, I am not necessarily such a fan of the in-ring action as I am of the storylines. And my friend, the, the guy at work, was like, oh, well, you're not a wrestling fan. I said, well, no, technically I'm a soap opera fan, because that's really what it is. It's, it's You're a sports entertainment fan, which... <laughs> 
you know, I don't want to dig too much into this. I don't know how far you're going to go, but it kind of doesn't make sense that you kind of have shunned WWE for other forms of wrestling here lately. But continue. Well, no, but I just I just mean like just overall, I I like the the serialized storytelling and it comes from the, I think it comes from the fact of, you know, growing up watching wrestling it, where it's very soap opera in a lot of ways. I did actually watch uh, daytime television for a very long time. So, and you know, and then that was sort of what I leaned towards. I mean, even even Lost had a lot of soap opera type elements in terms of exaggerated drama. And again, the serialized things and oh, there's a big twist and this and that. But I, one of the things um, that I actually that I later learned that I kind of like um, is so in the television the rebooted Battlestar Galactica series um, the the creator the developer of that show when he wrote the show Bible which I actually found a version of online at one point he said that he wanted the the series to be kind of like Hill Street Blues which the format of that was they would have the season-long arc, whatever that would be, then they would have sort of little arcs from, you know, whether it be episode to episode or two to three episodes or what have you, and th- which would be more of your character development sort of stuff, and then there would be a almost like a case of the week sort of thing. So it's not so much your law and orders or your CSIs where it's basically just case of the week, boom, we're done. You might have an interesting development where it's like, oh yeah, by the way, the wife and I are in counseling and then you don't hear about it for like a season or whatever, but more like a, like a lost or a Grey's Anatomy or something like that, where it's like, Hey, this is what we're dealing with on a macro level. This is what everybody's going through, um, with lost. It's let's get off the Island. Let's battle the others, what have you. And then the, uh, the character versions who's dating who this week and how that you know how those relationships work one episode to the next and then whatever the story is on the island oh we need to find water oh we need this well you know whatever well who who knew we were going to be talking about lost on this podcast <laughs> i'm just i'm surprised it didn't take uh, mentioning drew goddard to get there uh, <laughs> to your knowledge though uh, was like Hill Street Blues uh, one of the first to do that? Because all I remember about Hill Street Blues, I used to be sitting there probably like playing with my He-Man or my baseball cards while my dad was watching it. So I do remember the show. I never watched it myself per se. Um, but a lot of shows adopted that uh, later on, I would say into the 90s. Uh, definitely in the 2000s and it it was just good business because you had something to hook somebody in it was like your your show wasn't appointment television if you didn't have a reason for them to come back it's not like you know friends for the most part of course they had long arching stories but you could miss an episode easily and for the most part you're going to be fine you know and they say it was that was the origin, uh, uh, the origin of must see TV, but you know, still, if you missed an episode, okay, you, you'll you'll catch up, you, you know, you'll catch on. Um, but when you have that overarching story that that is just prevalent, that one that that'll keep you hooked. Like you need 
before you know you could set a DVR, you might have had to set your VCR. Um, and I and I did that before, and I used to do it for wrestling, you know, to tie this back around to that. So, and don't get me wrong, there's to me there's nothing wrong with that. That's why a show like a Friends, or you know, I, I recently like as of by recently I mean today, I just got done rewatching 30 rock again, you know, or, or whatever that's. And, and again, your law and orders, your CSIs, NCISs, things like that. That's why they are successful is because you have that case of the week or problem of the week or whatever. I mean, on friends, they reference it, it with three's company. Oh, this is the one where there's some sort of misunderstanding. Oh, well, I've seen this. Well, that's every episode of three's company. There's some sort of misunderstanding. <laughs> and I have no problem with that. It's not necessarily going to, I mean, granted with friends, it is one of my top five or yeah, top five favorite shows, but it, uh, for the most part, those sorts of things are not necessarily going to be something that I revisit over and over and over again. I should have used Seinfeld in retrospect. I should have. I picked the wrong show to use as an example because Friends had a lot more long-running stories that connected in the end, whereas Seinfeld was, you know, say what you want—a show about nothing. And you know, if you missed an episode, you really, you know, there was nothing going to stop you from seeing that next one. But I mean, even even with Friends, it wasn't until they got going sort of where that happened. Fringe is a perfect example of that. And it was sort of that network thing. And it was Fox, which is a whole other argument in itself. And you know how I feel about that. (laughs) But like Fringe was a thing with that, where they would do, uh, you know, a, a case of the week, a mystery of the week. And then eventually they had built in that core audience where Fox knew, okay, you know what? They're not necessarily going to get the best ratings. They're getting decent ratings. And so we're going to renew them only for 13 episodes instead of a full 26 or 27 or what have you. You're listening to Clock Shelves Entertainment, the only podcast network bringing you great times. Um, And then it got to the point where it's sort of diminishing returns. And I, I just... I just spoke with another friend of mine about this recently where, you know, as shows continue to go on, the budget gets bigger, but the return on investment gets a little bit smaller because your audience doesn't always stick around. And I mean, realistically, even Lost found that out. The seasons one and two are often regarded as the best. Season three, it started to dip. And then seasons five and six, it's it kind of came back a little bit because people were like, oh, it's ending soon. We should see how it ends. And it's, I mean, with all of that, what I started all of that to say was, I feel like as much as there was sort of the individual thing in each of these episodes, I don't feel that they were, I I hate myself the fact that I'm going to say this, I don't feel that they were good enough stories to be the individual thing. It just, it felt like, and I, and I want to, I do want to say, I actually like this show. I think it's executed you know, well and whatever, but I feel like a lot of the things were just, we need to get to the mile marker, which is going to set things up for what's coming down the road. Similar to how you said, with the reason that I brought all of this up was it's like a movie. 
the uh, if you watch this whole season as one, it's a, it's like a 13 hour movie, and that's perfectly fine because you have all of your little things that eventually by Act Three are all going to come together. But when you break it down and then have to expand each of those things until you get to this point and then this point and whatever. So to the fact that, okay, uh, episode one introduces, you know, some of the backstory, whatever episode two, what do people really remember that really good fight scene? And the fact that there's the introduction of, um, um, Rosario Dawson's character. And then episode three is, Nothing, in my opinion. The, the the ending was like the big thing. Okay, let's just get to that. And yeah. I feel like and this is actually something I talked about on um, the Agent Carter sort of arc was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is, you know, sort of the case of the week, almost mm, X-Files fringe-ish in terms of let's, you know, we got to find the artifact or whatever that is. Agent Carter was sort of the um, throwback to the 50s, 40s, 30s sci-fi sort of thing. And, you know, the Cold War and what have you. and Not the Cold War, sorry, pre-Cold, whatever. And then this is very much sort of the dark and gritty, law and order the wire type version of, you know, pocket, if you will, of the MCU. But I feel like a lot of it is filler to get to some of these mile markers, at least in some of these early ones. That's just my feeling personally. You can now crucify me for saying that, Kevin. I'm not going to crucify you at all. Um, I think it's actually going to be more and more prevalent. The things you're saying, uh, when we get deeper into these Netflix series, because one of the big uh, criticisms of pretty much all of them was that, yeah, they drug out over uh, 10, 12, 13 episodes, however episode, I think they mostly were 13, but maybe not exactly. But a lot of the criticism that came in when they were released was that, oh, this could have been done in 10, eight, maybe six even. You know, why did we have to wait until the end of the third episode before uh, we ever see Vincent D'Onofrio's Wilson Fisk appear on screen Um, and not even in sort of a a pivotal moment? You know, he's there staring at a painting. Um, So, yeah, I get absolutely what you're saying. Uh, But this is this show uh, or series um, is very much a product of its time. Um, like you said, it was pre Disney plus it was before Marvel studios just decided, Hey, we can do this all on our own. Uh, it was when they were still trying to tie series to that number 13 for whatever reason. Um, when you think about it, there was no reason for Netflix to ever do that. Uh, these were not airing weekly. They threw them all out at once. That would be one of my biggest criticisms of them. And I'm glad that we've now reached the point here in 2021 where we've kind of rectified that. And a lot more things are getting weekly releases, which is much preferred in my opinion. Um, so, you know, where I would have, uh, fell on the side in your debate and switch, but yeah, I, I, I completely see the point you're trying to make and it's valid and i think here we are 
six, seven years later, however long it's been, uh, that a lot of other people see that too, and they're taking the steps to correct it. Well, the funny thing, like you said, it's, you know, the 13 episode thing is the fact that it used to be, you know, 27, 28, even 30 episodes were, you know, you look at the, the first season of, um, Star Trek way back in the sixties and it was like 30 episodes and they were 50 something minute episodes cause there wasn't as many commercial breaks back then to do a 30 episode season nowadays on any network is unheard of, you know, and then it started to become okay about 26 and then it slowly went down to okay 22 23 at most maybe 24 and once in a great while and then cable both basic cable uh and then you know your hbos and what have you started saying okay well we're gonna only do 13 because we can tell that much drama in half the time and with you know a much less budget Um, even with hbo though it kind of made sense because they want to drag it out as long as they can. You know, they want you to come back every week. They want you to hold on to that subscription for that entire amount of time. With Netflix, it made no sense. <laughs> well, that's that's it is because and and that is, you know, people get on Netflix a lot about, well, why do they cancel this show, whatever, because it's it's like I said before, it's that return on investment because all of these things for better or worse, and it's an argument that I have with some of our wrestling friends and whatever, it's all about business. It's all about making the money back. Again, return on investment. Great. There's an audience for Daredevil, but people are not signing up to get Daredevil. They're signing up to get Daredevil Season 1, and then they might say, oh, all right, I'll stick around maybe for you know another month or whatever because I see there's some other things. But then you make them wait a year, year and a half, two years for the next season, they're going to get rid of it. There are going to be those few that don't because they forget that they're signed up for it or what have you. But a lot of them are going to get rid of it until the next cycle of Daredevil comes out. Or So I, I have to be honest, I'm kind of one of those people, or I would have been at least, because I haven't had my own Netflix account in more than a decade. Okay, my relationship with Netflix goes back to when they would ship DVDs to your house. At that point, yes, I had my own Netflix account. When they started streaming, I only had my own account for a very brief period of time. And since then, I've been sharing an account with a friend. Uh, You know, she pays for that. I pay for other things like I have the Disney Plus account, uh, let's say, and we share. I don't think like right now. I would pay for Netflix when the Marvel shows were out. Yeah, I knew I was going to watch those. So I would have a Netflix account if need be. Um, But other than that, I'm that kind of person who probably would have just if they said there was no Netflix show, the Netflix Marvel series coming out for six months or a year. I doubt I would have been paying for Netflix all that time because honestly, I don't use it like that. And that's what people thought was going to happen with Disney Plus. Okay, Disney Plus launches, they have everything, and then they have The Mandalorian. Great. 
well then, okay, I've now, but because the Mandalorian, I believe, week to week, so it kept people around, but once that's over, what's it going to be? Well, then all of a sudden it became Marvel show for several weeks, and then you might get a Marvel movie, and then another Marvel show, because now they're, of course, they're pumping out content like crazy, but back in the day with these with the marvel netflix things they didn't have that now i and again this is one of the different one of the many differences between you and i i kept my net i actually got netflix i think for fuller house kept it i believe i don't remember the exact timing but kept it because of like a daredevil and you know what i mean like things like that and then i would find things oh maybe i want to rewatch this series i also don't have cable or anything like that and i like to watch I like to watch things while I fall asleep. So I have the different streaming services so that I could, you know, whatever show I feel like watching, I could do that. And of course with doing these podcasts, I, I have the different things so that I could, okay, now it's time to watch this. Okay. Got to go to this streaming service or what have you. And I could probably do those free trials and whatnot. But for me, it's just easier to just keep having them all. Uh, but whatever. So if you haven't already, uh, go check out on Content Club. One of the bonus episodes we have once a month is a show called Two of Us. It features myself and my father uh, going through some different things in Beatles history. Uh, I know that that may not sound like fun to some people. You may not be a Beatles fan or maybe you're just a casual fan or what have you, but we're making some interesting discoveries along the way. Cause one of the things that we uh, have with that show is I provide a lot of research and things like that. And my dad who was alive for a lot of it, but kind of caught up later because it was happening when he was, you know, incredibly young. Uh, but he is one of the biggest Beatles fans. Fans I know, one of the biggest Beatles fans you'll probably ever meet if you get the chance to meet him, of course. But we kind of provide, it's it's almost like a sports commentary sort of deal where I provide some play-by-play and he provides the color, meaning he can provide some context and some things because he's read various uh, books, he's seen various interviews and heard various interviews and all of these things, and he has such a vast knowledge of all things Beatle-related, and we're covering some topics that aren't necessarily the major topics when it comes to the Beatles. So if you might be interested, go check it out. It's available on Content Club right now, patreon.com slash clockshelves, and it is called Two of Us, and it's us going through the long and winding road of the Beatles. But, um, but I know, but there are, like you said, there are people who, who like yourself, who would do that or, or at least would be that person where, you know, okay, there's not something necessarily on Netflix that I want to see that's new, but after a certain point, you know, okay, Daredevil season three, well, then it becomes that same thing of, is somebody going to sign up just to like, if they're if they're on season three or four of a destination show, chances are they already had it. You're not necessarily going to get many new viewers, which is Netflix's goal is to get new people signed up, not yeah. necessarily the same people signing up every cycle. And to that point, I would love to see the data, and I don't believe Netflix releases this in, in 
any sort of uh, reliable way, put it that way. But like the amount of people who watched uh, Daredevil season one, episode one versus the amount of people who watched Daredevil season one, episode 12. Okay, I'm not I'm not going to say 13 because some, you know, you lose interest, you might just skip ahead to the finale. But how many people invested and were there throughout the whole thing? You know what I mean? That, that, that number is probably multiple times the, 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 the number of people who started and watched episode one, two, maybe even three. These three we're discussing versus the last uh, quarter of the season. And then that number was even probably more drastically reduced when you go to season two, episode one versus, you know, the end of that season and then into season three. And there's a reason why these shows aren't around anymore. And, and it doesn't take a genius to figure it out. You know, all the, the politics and stuff and the business aside is that probably weren't a lot of people watching or not as many as they wanted anyway. You know, not everybody's me. Not everybody's you. They're not sticking around through the whole thing, dissecting it, this, that, and the third. You know, they're, they're just casually watching a lot, not for nothing, probably lose interest. And honestly, the, the, the last few words of what you just said are sort of how I felt re-watching this. This is, I, I, I can't remember if when season two came out, if I went back and rewatched re yeah, rewatched season one, I honestly can't remember if I did or not, but, um, it was because it's been so long either way. It was almost like I was watching this for the first time. And maybe it's because it's been years and, and the television and streaming landscape has changed and whatnot. But I, I did feel like I was losing interest between these episodes. And like I said, each one did have its own sort of distinctive thing in the episode, but it wasn't enough in my, for me, in my opinion, it wasn't enough to necessarily keep my interest throughout all three episodes because I uh, in the lead up to this over the last few days I rewatched you know one and then two and then three and it wasn't enough for me oh okay great we get the little bit of the the teeny bit of the of the origin story uh in in the one like I said in two it's the, the the in my opinion the two main talking points are the introduction of Rosario Dawson and then that what is it the staircase fight scene that everybody talks the hall, about the, the hallway fight scene which uh more or less put this show on the map and then there will be other uh the you know the staircase is in season two i believe maybe three no you're right uh, yeah i get them confused but uh you know basically that that hallway fight in one of the early episodes that became a staple of these uh netflix series um, not just Daredevil, I believe, you know, even Luke Cage uh, does it at one point, maybe even Jessica Jones, I'm forgetting. But I think, you know, they kind of, you know, they kept that formula. And and then, which, by the way, is a totally different issue is when, like you said, with the movies, things become too formulaic. And, and that's why a lot of people, even with regards to the movies, sort of dropped off at a certain point. Not everyone, of course, because they wouldn't be these billion dollar grossing movies if if everybody had dropped off but you know everybody points now to oh all the posters look alike and this specific thing happened in each movie and you know whatever um but then uh, the the third one uh, the third episode here 
being the fact that, um, you know, the to me, the biggest thing was the fact that we finally see Wilson Fisk at the end, you know, and, and I'm not saying there aren't other things in them because we get little bits of um, Matt Murdock, Daredevil being able to, you know, we see little traits of him that make him uh, a superhero or a hero. I know you, you have a whole thing. You and I have talked about this before, a, a hero versus a superhero. Um, but he, he has, you know, abilities that I guess technically everyone could have, you know, with regards to the, the hearing and as long as you focus and whatnot. But, um, you know, like we see little bits of, of that with him. But to me, like I said, there there wasn't much episode to episode that sort of keeps me go like saying, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, really, like you said, the 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 thing. Oh, I remember the the hallway fight scene. Well, what episode was? I don't know, but I just remember that scene. Like that's yeah, what it that's becomes. That's probably the experience for a lot of people who watch the show. Like that is probably the first thing they think of, and is the most notable thing to even come out of the whole series. But do you want it to be that? I don't think so. I don't think that's what they wanted. No, I think that they put that early on to show you, like, okay, here's something that we're going to do. We're going to do well, and it's going to be different. And hope that's what uh, you know. That, that that's what caught you. That's what really reeled you in to watch the rest. And I I feel like with the development uh, with the you know, and I'm I'm kind of skipping around episode to episode here, not necessarily the normal format that we do, where it's you know talk about this episode, then talk about that episode, then talk about episode three. But um, the the sort of over the the season long sort of thing of um, the Union Allied case, you know, and, and Karen Page, the character, sort of looking into that and, and what have you. In my opinion, that should have kind of been the, a bit more of the focus. Not to say, you know, obviously it was the focus, but I feel like that could have been the thing. Yeah, okay, great. The fight scene lured you in. But does anyone, if you ask, you know, the average person who claims that they watch the show, do you think they would necessarily remember that that was the overall thing of the season? Probably not. Because honestly, I forgot that that was it. <laughs> no, not at all. You're right. You're right. And and episode three, I think, really established what this show was going to be, which was kind of you mentioned The Wire. This is kind of like season five of The Wire, where they're in the newsroom, meets. Uh, a John Grisham novel or movie uh, meets Batman. One of my favorite things about recording any of the shows that I do, like MCU and Me or Lost with Friends or even back when we used to do Wrestling Renegades, is finding out little uh, details about the people that we have on. Uh, and sometimes in the middle of those conversations, you get some very interesting details about who the people are. And of course we try to present you with who those people are across the various clock shelves, entertainment shows. And one of the best ways that we do that is on our show, Paul and all, um, it is where I sit down 
uh, with various people from all over the world, as I always say, and I just talk with them. And I, the, you know, no topic is too small on our show, Paul and All, as our intro says. And I would love if you would go and check it out, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, of course, you can find the links across all of our social media. And, you know, you could help us grow that show as well, because sometimes it's fun talking with the Losties or the True Believers uh, about things that aren't necessarily Lost or Marvel or wrestling or what have you. Um, sometimes getting to know the people is what is the fun part for me. I am Paul. I am your voice of choice here at Clock Shelves Entertainment, and I host Paul and All. Go check it out. You know, that that's... And all essential. three of those things sound great. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and part of it, that's why I liked it. We, we're sitting here, we're not necessarily talking great about uh, this, this series, uh, but I still like it. Uh, we'll see if my thoughts evolve. You know, I, I haven't watched the full season or seasons. Um I've only caught up now on these three episodes and going forward, we'll talk about the others a little more and we'll see how my, my thoughts and feelings uh, change and, or, and, and, or evolve. Uh, now, one thing I do want to ask you about is because you are much more in tune with the comic book side than I am. What do you think of the portrayals of the main characters, Matt, Froggy, Karen, you know, the little tiny bit so far that we've seen. Froggy? Of... We watching Little little Rascals? Foggy. Did I say Froggy? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I thought you said Froggy. <laughs> I'm I, sorry. It's it's a little late, and I am I had a 24-hour bug. My apologies on that. You're um, going to whip out your lizard. Uh. <laughs> um, but no, but like I said, you're... you're more in tune sort of with the the comic book uh characters and and stories and things so i'm i'm curious your uh opinion on how they portrayed the the characters uh for the most part it's perfect uh long story short uh karen page i think is a little bit of a darker character uh when you get into the comics but uh i get you know this I'm saying she's a darker character, and the first image we see of her is uh, her just completely covered in blood over a dead body. All right, how much? How do you get much dark, more darker than that? Well, she had her own demons and whatever else uh, in in the comics over the years. Um, and by the way, when we do see her, that's that wasn't uh, an uncommon thing or a very startling thing for her because did you watch True Blood? I didn't, but I've heard. Yeah, uh, it was uh, for for Deborah Ann Wall. Uh, she was probably very used to being covered in blood at that point in her career because she's just coming off of however many seasons of True Blood she did as as uh, Vampire Jess. Um, so it was kind of funny to see, actually. Um, but yeah, as far as authenticity in the characters, they really put a lot into this. I want to give a shout out to. Uh, Mike Cicchini. He is a uh, writer and editor for Den of Geek, pop culture website Den of Geek. Um, he had some excellent writing on 
not just Daredevil season one and and but all of these Netflix series pretty much um, that gave you all of the details. He is much more knowledgeable than I could ever hope to be uh, as far as Marvel Comics history goes. And I followed along with his writing and it really makes you enjoy the show more when you realize all of these little nods to the comics throughout. You had, uh, I think Daredevil was first introduced in the late 60s. So you had damn near um, 50 years of, of comic book stories to pull from and characters to pull from. And the way they did them and, and stayed true for the most part to everything uh, is really incredible. His writing, uh, Mike's writing of all the Easter eggs and stuff, it, it's it's it will make you enjoy the show much, much more than you would and appreciate it. I love um, I, I haven't read necessarily those articles. I, I do see like sometimes on uh, various YouTube channels and stuff, they do those little Easter eggs and they, I've seen a bunch of people do it for the, the Marvel films and everything. I love, cause I, like I said, I don't necessarily, and I'm, I've admitted this in the past. I don't necessarily know the comics as well as someone like yourself or a I, lot I would venture to say not sorry to interrupt, but I would venture to say a lot of those videos and stuff are, using Mike as a source for a, for a great number of things that they're talking about. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. I'm just guessing, but I think that's probably correct. Um, but that is one of the things that I, that I do like to see is when they, and it, it shows to me that the writers and directors and producers, one, put the time and the effort in and they know who their audience is. And it's a, it's similar. Like I was talking about with the concept of story structure, right? Where, you know, you have the thing for your person who's just tuning in for the, again, with regards to the old way of television, traditional television, the person who's just tuning in for episode five of your show. Oh yeah. I've heard a few things about this show since it premiered. Let me tune in. And this is the story of the week, but then you could also quickly figure out, Oh, okay. This person dated that person or what have you. And, and you know, then maybe they become a fan. Um, and there's, like I said, your, your character arcs, your, episode like what one of the uh uh little tidbits that that uh den of geek and, and mike introduce is that you know we see this character you know rosaria dawson's character is often referred to as night nurse she's not uh actually the night nurse from the comics uh claire temple is her own character in the comics actually a doctor um but they kind of merge those two characters but the original claire temple from uh, the comics was married to Bill Foster, who was played by Lawrence Fishburne in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, so it all kind of comes around like like oh, those little uh, just uh, sorry to interrupt again. But those little uh, relationships like you were talking about, you know, to the original characters that that they're all based upon. That's just one of the many examples you could pull from. But that's that that's what I was getting at was like the fact that that the writers and and like you said there is so much to pull from from you know when 
all not just Daredevil or Ant-Man or what have you, but any of the comics were originally created. There's, you know, we monthly, weekly things going back decades. So there's always little tidbits that you could put in. But it like I said, it shows sort of the level of detail that the producers and and writers and directors and you know the production team, the set designers, everything that they, that they all care enough to do that. It's, it's like when, you know, you have, you have nieces, right? I believe it's nieces. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you probably watched certain movies as a kid. And now you go back and watch those movies with your nieces. And you're probably realizing like, Oh, that was a joke I didn't get when I was a kid, but that's a very grown up joke in this children's movie or what have you, you know? And it's, and it's the, the producers often do that, whether it's Disney or like a Shrek or something where they often do that so that there's multiple layers so that the parents who are watching along are go are finding some enjoyment out of it instead of just falling asleep or rolling their eyes at oh this is just kids stuff there's you know funny bits for the grown-ups as well as for the kids and i feel like a lot of those little details are you know because you have your and i've talked about this with regards to the movies i know more comic book stuff than my mother but you know more comic book stuff than me but all three of us can watch the film and enjoy it but we each have a different level of enjoyment based on what prior knowledge we may have or not have hi friends this is ruth from just plain crazy face art of northeast pennsylvania we are now accepting bookings for birthday parties spring and easter events as well as summer festivals We offer face painting, glitter tattoos, as well as henna body art. We also offer the option of adding games or crafts to your party as well. Please check out our party services page on our website, justplaincrazyfaceart.com. Our face painting is done with water-based cosmetic products that are easily removed with soap and water. Let us use our 18 plus years in business to help you add color and fun to your event. We also have a large network of talented face art friends around the world. So even if we're not local to you, we probably know artists who are. Feel free to contact us to put you in touch with artists in your area. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the magic of it all, isn't it? Uh, The fact that uh, so many people could go see Iron Man in 2008 and really he's he's a part of of pop culture forever now, obviously, but at the time, not that many people knew Iron Man. So they're going in kind of with a clean slate and they're like, Oh wait, this is actually a really good performance by Robert Downey Jr. And it's actually a really entertaining movie. And then it just all snowballs up to where we are now. Um, now I personally, like I said, I, I feel like a lot of stuff, and maybe if there's something specific that you want to touch on, um, I, I feel like we kind of hit <laughs> uh, most of the things within the episodes. Um, I, because like I said, to me, and it's just me, a lot of them are just hitting some of these major milestones to get to the the talking points, if you will, coming out of the episodes. Um did it bother you that uh, Matt's dad's storyline was essentially identical to Butch in Pulp Fiction? It 
See, it didn't bother me. Like I remember <laughs> this time watching it going, oh, okay, yeah. And I actually, I I don't know because I didn't really look too much into it. I, was that supposed to be a nod to Pulp Fiction or is that from the comics or like? Uh, I mean, it, it essentially is the story from the comics. So I guess you could flip it around and say that that it's more that way, that the comics more or less influenced Quentin. But uh, just the even the way he groans and grunts on his way t- into the ring to fight uh, was very much uh, Bruce Willis from Pulp Fiction. Obviously, his dad doesn't end up getting away on on Zed's chopper at the end, though. So, um, one of the things I do like, and I don't know how intentional it was. I've I've I remember seeing some things about it at the time. Um, but I don't know how intentional it was with regards to the origin of the character, the concept of the suit or lack thereof Mm -hmm. in the, you know, the fact that it's just like a almost, it's almost, um, well, I guess his suit regularly is kind of Batman esque in general, but the fact that it's more just a hood um, you know, where, where his, the, the bottom half of his, of his face is sort of exposed, but he doesn't have the red, he doesn't have the little, the little horns and whatnot. And correct me if I'm wrong, when the character was first introduced, it was a yellow suit, if I'm not mistaken. But- yeah, it was red, it was red and yellow initially. Um, and that's, you kind of see a nod to that with, with, uh, Battle and Jack Murdoch's ring gear is, is the red and kind of yellow or gold um that suit that we that we see matt uh initially wearing when he goes out to to be a vigilante and all uh was first introduced by frank miller when he got his hands on daredevil in the early 80s daredevil had existed probably for about 15 years prior to that mostly in that yellow and red suit um and then things you know you know shit got real (laughs) Oh, Frank uh, Miller, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and he's, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for this as well, as do many, many other comic book uh, creators over those years. Um, I'm, I I beat the drum for that all the time. I, I think I do, at least. Uh, a lot of these comic book creators deserve a lot more than what they've got. Uh, and I think we're we're getting better in terms of that, in, in terms of cr- crediting uh, these people, whether it be with their actual name on the screen or money in their pocket. And, uh, you know, I'll beat that drum to the day I die. I, I definitely agree. You see all the time, the battle that the descendants of the Superman creators are always in, in legal battles with Warner brothers. And, you know, even people will say, and, and, you know, I, I have nothing necessarily against the guy, but as you know, people will say, well, why does Stan Lee always get a credit or a cameo or what have you in the, the various things that he did versus some people only get a credit, a special thanks at the very, very end, right before the soundtrack listing, you know, in the in the credits or whatever, you know, because they contributed or they wrote arcs or you know whatever that minor 
details of the of the film or the show incorporated well that's you know that's not right you know especially with a lot of these netflix series like basically you say you know it's a 13 hour movie well that 13 hour movie was originally a 13 issue comic book series probably you know and and that they're taking that one story and and telling it over the course of those episodes so uh I don't know how much money uh, the the original creators and writers got, but I, I certainly hope it was a lot. It still probably wasn't enough, though. <laughs> uh, for, for sure, yes. Um, I, I do. I, I I also want to uh, say, going back to sort of the costume, I kind of wonder if it was because. It was sort of one of the things with regards to like Iron Man even, right? And and um the Incredible Hulk and and some of the some of the movies even were it's not necessarily about Iron Man, it's about Tony Stark. It's not necessarily about the Incredible Hulk, it's about Bruce Banner and so on and so forth. And so even you look at, you know, superhero show that in the early 2000s proved it doesn't have to be super campy and you could do dramatic or melodramatic stuff smallville their whole thing when they originally started was the fact that they were never going to have him in the suit in the superman suit you know and so i wonder if if the reasoning in addition to, like I said, I, I, I wasn't sure how the, the origin of the suit in the comics came about, but I wonder if it was sort of one of those things where it's like, this is, you know, it is daredevil because that's the character that people know and what have you. But this is a show more about Matt Murdock more than it is about daredevil. So we're going to kind of keep him out of that iconic suit, at least for a while. You already know with Clock Shelves Entertainment, you get great times, global reactions, enticing aspects, tantalizing topics, and many entertaining scenarios. We talk the ever-expanding Marvel Cinematic Universe, we talk failed pilots and prep for new shows, and we talk some shows that are, you know, we're looking at in retrospect. We talk with friends from all various walks of life. Sometimes it's sports. Sometimes it's sports entertainment, and sometimes it's just pure entertainment. We are all over the country and all over the globe. We're friends. We're family. We are Clock Shelves Entertainment. Yeah, and that was that was kind of always Stan's thing, is that he wasn't just telling you a superhero story. He was telling you the story of a human being who happened to be a superhero. You know, that was that was more or less his thing. And if you look throughout the characters he created, and we'll use that word liberally. Um, but yeah, that, 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 that's, that's, you know, there was a book, the uh, bestseller throughout the years is ma- making comics the Marvel way, how to make comics the Marvel way, whatever it was. Um, and that, that's pretty much it. It's, tell the story of the person. Make them relatable. Don't put them up on a pedestal so much. You know, sure, they have these incredible abilities, but uh, at their core, they are humans. They have their own problems. They have feelings, things like that. 
And uh, that's um, part of the reason why I've always been a Marvel fan over DC. But we don't need to get into all that. I, I mean, I I feel like that's something we've talked about in the various discussions we've had, whether it be on this show, uh, with certain things on Paul and all, Lost with Friends, so on and so forth. Um, you know, the, the character... Uh, dynamics, the character arcs and things like that are what really drives it. It's it's about who these people are and the fact that they happen to have, like you said, superpowers or the, with Lost, they happen to all be stranded on an island or, you know, whatever. And I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but uh, even more t- to to this point, uh, it's not a lot. Large part of this isn't just Matt Murdock's story. This is Wilson Fix. Excuse me. <laughs> this is Wilson Fisk's story as well. Um, he's not there all the time. Obviously, he wasn't. He was barely seen in these three episodes that we're discussing. But going forward, we're going to see that. You know, it's also he's not just the big bad boss. We we learn a lot more about him. And you know humanizing the the villain is is another i don't know if that's something that marvel or comics in general was one of the first things to do but that is one of the things that i do like in great writing is and it's it's a, it's a joke that i see online a lot where you know one of the signs of becoming an adult is you start to see the bad guys point of view a lot more a lot more clearly than you did when you're a kid because they're not necessarily bad they actually have they just do bad for what in their opinion is a good reason right and that's that's you know it's cliche to say but it's always that you know the best villains are always the ones who believe in what they're doing you know the, the magneto is the great example of that absolutely yeah um I'm trying to think if there was... Well, I mean, obviously, I know you mentioned uh, Drew Goddard. I'm looking here quickly at the uh, the credits. Um, the series, the season, was um, sort of developed uh, and showrun by Stephen S. DeKnight, who uh, worked on Spartacus. I'm trying to think, because I know that I've seen... I, that's it. He, he was a writer for a few seasons on Buffy and then Angel and... Smallville, Dollhouse, then uh, this season of Daredevil, like you said, Drew Goddard, who actually is the first, uh, the credited writer on the first episode, again, did Buffy and Angel and Alias and Lost, as well as various other things, Cloverfield. Yeah, so we know you're you're very familiar with him. Yes. Uh, I've actually been in the same room with him. I got to, uh, you know, not converse, but hear him talk to a room full of people. That was very cool at New York Comic Con. Um and he, yeah, he was, you know, more or less the showrunner throughout most of the show's existence, and and uh, produced thirty five episodes of Lost. Of course, you know, we had to get to that that in there. <laughs> um, but I'm just looking. Even uh, the the director of um, of the first episode, uh, Phil Abraham. Uh, it says he was a cinematographer. He worked initially as a camera operator, then cinematographer and eventually moved up to director uh for all six seasons of the sopranos 
and what with on loss with his, friends it was his first directing credit was an episode of the sopranos and uh maybe not one of my favorite episodes but but it produced one of my favorite lines from the show and and when you know when tony says you know there i believe he's talking to paulie paulie's trying to reminisce and uh tony says it's just remember when is the lowest form of, of communication uh and I always loved that line. And that was uh, the episode that Phil Abraham uh, directed of The Sopranos, as well as uh, multiple episodes of Mad Men, Orange is the New Black, and a lot of others in between. Um, I always like to see that in a show. And we talked about it. And it, this is just sort of a side note with me, because you and I, and you and I have talked about this pretty much since we started becoming better friends, just the concept of looking through the credits and stuff. And it was something that we sort of developed uh, a joking thing back and forth on lost with friends of you would say something. And I'd say, Oh, I know that name, whatever. And then I would, you would already have known it, but off the top of my head, I could just give you some credits that they did or what <laughs> have you. And um, that is one of the things as a, a nerd who likes to look at credits like that, that I do like to see on shows we actually saw it on an episode or two of Lost uh, where there was a guy who was an editor who then eventually became a director. He didn't technically edit his own episode, um, but, you know, he, he was an editor for the show and then he became a director. And um, on small, I don't want to say smaller shows, um, but what I mean by that when I say smaller shows is more self-contained like daredevil and again i'll use uh i'll use buffy i'll use even lost as the example where you're sort of out of the way of the general hollywood system you know you don't necessarily have studio executives coming to your lot every day as as you know we've we've heard a lot of stories about and what have you and you're a big enough show that they'll let you maybe get away with some stuff or you're a small enough show where they'll let you get away with some stuff that you wouldn't necessarily be able to otherwise and you know somebody can sort of work their way up like that where they start out as a camera operator and then they become the top camera operator or the cinematographer and then they eventually move into the director's chair same with an editor or you know, a, a person who writes can then often move to the to be the director or an actor can, you know, eventually say, hey, you know, I've worked on this show for over 100 episodes and I want to now get behind the camera. And then they get their first directing credit work because they know everybody on the set. So it's it's a nice way to sort of dip your toe in the water of I'm going to try directing, but I know these people. It's not like you're going off to do your first film or even directing a different series. It's you're working with people, you know, and you know that presumably they're going to be, you know, willing to to help you with this, that and the third. So I do always like to see that in credits when somebody has sort of moved up the the food chain if you will and then they get to try other things and then of course you get to to the point where you're eventually like yeah i'm the one who who directed the pilot episode of this thing and by directing a pilot episode you get to set the tone for sort of what's going to come every time after that pretty much yeah and you got to kind of be happy for that person when it is uh when it does go down like that and i'm not 
uh, an expert in this field by any means. Uh, we have friends of ours who work and have worked in the industry who could probably speak on this stuff with a, a lot more authority than you and I. But when you see something like that, you have to think it's it's more or less based on merit. Like you've put in your time, you know, and, and somebody up high has seen your work and said, hey, we're going to give you a shot at this. So you're right. You do love to see that. And in the same way, like I know you, you didn't always do it uh, throughout um, Lost with Friends and, and, and MCU and me here. Um, but I think it's vitally important to recognize the creators. We're sitting here. We're talking about their work. Um, that's, that's really what it is. So I think it's important to recognize at least at the very least, the, the director and writer of each, uh, episode of television that, that we are, are critiquing more or less, uh, in the same way that, uh, comic book creators should get their due, you know, you know, we're got to give these people, you know, their, their proper credit. Well, you've you've probably heard the story. Um, I'm pretty sure I've told it across various things, and and you know if, if anybody has ever listened to uh, whether it be MCU and me or uh, Paul and all, where my mother has been on the show, um, it's been talked about that even before the Marvel movies were a thing, and you know post credit scenes and all of that, um, myself and it was based off of my parents doing it would sit throughout the entirety of the credits. You know, even the lights would come. I still do it to this day when I, I mean, I haven't been to the, to the movie theater in quite a while, but I, excuse me, I still do it to this day where I will stay until the, the final thing. And, you know, then it goes back to the, the little, like for my local theater, that, that thing that Maria Menounos does where she's just like, we're going to talk about this, that, and the third about, you know, what's coming up at the movie theater and, you know, (laughs) play little games on your phone and all that sort of stuff. Hey there, folks, just taking another break to remind you to check out our social media pages. We're trying to grow those and we're wondering what you want to see more from us. Uh, You can let us know your feedback on our shows. You can let us know uh, feedback on just about anything really over on our social medias. You can make requests for various guests that you want to maybe return to certain shows or you can give us topics. Um, you can check out all of that and you can even fa- find pretty much across the various platforms the people that have been on uh, our shows because we follow them and are followed by them pretty much everywhere. Uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, we are Clock Shelves. Of course, that's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. We are trying to grow our social media presence, as I said. So um, in addition to us trying to post as often as we uh, post new content for you, uh, we're also trying to make everyone else aware of our social media. So make sure you go give us a follow, maybe even uh, share us sometimes, you know, when we post new stuff. It's at Clock Shelves. That's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And, um, I, I stay throughout the entire thing and, and my parents used to do it because originally it was a thing of, you know, a lot of people worked hard on this and I was just having a conversation with a, a fellow Losty the other day about the concept of above the line people and below the line people. And 
for anybody who isn't aware, basically what that means is your above-the-line people are your actors, your writers, your producers, your directors, your top camera people. But what's below the what's considered the below the line people are your boom mic operators, your gaffers, you know, things like that. The 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 jobs, you know, lighting and grips and all of those sort of things that you don't necessarily the people that don't per se get the credit for a lot of the stuff that they do. A lot of the ones whose names on it, whether it be a television series or what have you, are at the end versus, you know, on a TV series, a lot of times the credits you see at the beginning are your guest stars and then your writers and your producers and your directors, maybe a costume designer or a set designer or what have you. And then after the show, when it squeezes over into that little box and then it shows you the what's coming next, you know, on the next episode, a lot of those names flash by really quickly. That's what's considered the below the line personnel. Like I said, you're lighting people and so on and so forth. And they don't necessarily get the credit. Well, they're the ones who people often leave in in the theater when those credits are up. And those people work just as hard, if not harder sometimes, because an actor, for the most part, I'm not trying to take any, anything away. You know, a friend of ours uh, is an actor and I'm not trying to take anything away from actors, but they don't always even stay there just to get the lighting right they have the concept of a stand-in and then they come in they do their thing whatever where for you know however long that takes but the lighting people and the the microphone people the boom operators all of that they're there all day making sure that the shot is going to be exactly right and those people deserve to be recognized as well and of course later on as i sort of developed hey i want to do this one day you know, it became, well, you know, my mother's thing was, well, one day your name is going to be up there. And so I would want someone to sit for your name. So I'm going to sit there for the names of all the other people that worked hard. And, and I've sort of had that become my thing too. I've had, (laughs) I think I've talked about this before with you, especially Kevin, but I've had where, whether it be family or, you know, uh, somebody that I'm on a date with or what have you, where I'm like, yeah, no, go ahead. I, you know, they're like, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm going to sit here. And I know there's no post credit scene. And they're saying they're like, why? There's nothing that's going to happen. I'm like, yeah, no, it's fine. I just want to watch the credits. And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll look and maybe I'll see a name that sounds funny or, oh, a name that I recognize again, because I'm a nerd that looks at credits like that. But a lot of times it's just the acknowledgement of nobody else except me and you know they'll never know that but I know selfishly I guess in in a way but I have acknowledged that they worked hard on this movie I do the same thing uh I got started doing that uh being good friends since kindergarten with uh with a with a guy who went to film school um and then went and lived out in, in Los Angeles for a while my buddy Jay um, he got me started doing that uh, a long time ago, probably 20 years ago at this point. And just for the most part, unless I have a really good reason, I'm staying there until like the curtains start to move <laughs> up up uh, uh, on the theater screen. Uh, so yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And just not so much for this series uh, per se, but when you look at the films and see 
be a long, 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 long list of, say, uh, digital editors or creators, or I, I don't know exactly how they're they're credited, but basically people who did all the CGI. You know, I just VFX. went and saw. Yes, uh, I went and saw Eternals last week, uh, and and that uh, list is very long. And think about all the people who put in work into trying to get those shots perfect. You know, and, and Chloe Zhao is an excellent, excellent director and filmmaker, but there are a lot more people who put in work to make that movie and those scenes look the way they did. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and actually, oh, and, and in not just the, the, the uh, end credits, but the opening credits, I wanted to mention that uh, being as this was the, 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 the first time we saw them season one, episode one, the opening credits of the show are, are pretty damn great. Um, I like the, the, the effects they used, and uh, I just wanted to take a second to shame the people who used that little skip intro button that Netflix uh, saw fit to introduce at some point. I'm looking at you, Jake. Uh, don't click that button, guys. Let it play out. Um, so I actually, I every time that little thing pops up, I do think of you. Um, li- not not because of what you just said, but uh, I'll tell that story in a moment. Um, just recently uh, at my new job, it was an incredibly slow night. So um, I put the office on the TV. The one guy that I work with has his Roku set up and, and he has Peacock. And he, I put the office on. He's not a fan, whatever. But if you if you've ever seen the office you know that the opening thing just like pretty much any other show is not that long like it's really not it's a few shots of of scranton and then it's shots of the the characters and whatever it's no like the most of the opening credits are not that long for almost any show and so he's just like like after like the second or third time he's like can you just skip this and i'm like dude it's like 30 seconds like it's fine (laughs) now i will say personally the daredevil one a bit long but it makes sense because there's a lot of you know a lot of people that deserve that credit sort of up front and especially the way netflix does stuff they don't always because they skip right to the next one you don't always stay and you know for the credits at the end or whatever i get that the reason though that i always think of you and it's not even on Netflix anymore. And I didn't know that it was a thing on Netflix until you, I don't remember if it was a, it had to have been a tweet because you're like never on Facebook. Um, but it was a, it was a tweet from you some years back when Lost was still on Netflix and you made the comment of like, I cannot believe that even for Lost where it's like five <laughs> seconds of the word swinging through, like you're like, how sad are the people that skip that, that that's how much they need to save time. Or I can't remember exactly your wording but it to this day whenever i see that little thing it doesn't matter on netflix peacock whatever whenever i see that little thing pop up it just makes me think of you being like how how precious is their time they're like (laughs) and then jake admitted to being one of those people (laughs) so here's the thing i will say and you're gonna you know I'll, i'll take the heat for it i really will if it's a show that I, like I said, I, I just today, as of this recording, I just finished rewatching 30 Rock, and I will watch like, and I'll, I'll sit and watch like several episodes in a row. Eventually, maybe three, four episodes in, 
I am probably going to, because it's mostly for a show like that, it's just the actors. It's not where it's this, where it's, you know, created by and all those other things, executive producers, whatever, because those come up during the show because it's a traditional television show. I'll hit that little skip button. I'm not going to lie. If it's like my fourth or fifth episode in a row, I'm going to hit the button. I rarely, I cannot see myself ever uh, more or less watching something four or five episodes in a row, but I, I guess I can understand that. I will out myself a little bit. I have used it recently because, and and this is going to be a tidbit for anybody who hasn't watched What If yet. Uh, we're going to get to that much, much later down the line, but um I started using it after an episode or two of watching What If and realizing that the names they put in the f- beginning credits, all those actors, you know, that they were going to be playing the, 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 the characters that they were famously known for. And a lot of those characters were supposed to be surprises when they showed up. So even just watching the opening credits to me was a form of a spoiler because you're just sitting there waiting and Lost is guilty of this as well. You know this. Um, You kind of try and block out that bottom third of the screen when Lost's uh, opening credits are are, are rolling. And it was the same thing for What If. I couldn't believe it. Like, you know, uh, Michael Douglas. I I don't want to get into spoilers. I'm sorry, but (laughs) but Michael Douglas is 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 in the opening credits of of one uh, episode, and uh, it's kind of a big reveal. That's all I'm going to say. I will say, um, I'm not as anti-spoiler as you. We've talked about this. You are 100% correct that that did happen on Lost. We talked. We've you know talked about it multiple times. And I think I've mentioned it on Lost with friends. I know I've, you know, I've definitely talked about it in my personal life with people who say something similar. That, unfortunately, is sort of a guild thing. Oh, I know. It, and it's that sucks. Because, <laughs> yeah, how you're credited and when you're credited or what you're credited as, whether it's, you know, guest star or special guest star, it affects, you know you know, your salary or whatever the case may be. I get it. It just sucks. It does. There's so a... I, I did skip the intro for the last eight or whatever episodes of What If. And I, I'll out myself even further because I watched the first two episodes of Daredevil that we were going to talk about a couple days ago. And as we were getting ready to record tonight, I noticed like, okay, I'm kind of running short on time here. Uh, and trying to catch up on, on, on episode three. And I did something that's that's shouldn't even be allowed, and, and shame on you, Netflix, for even putting this there, but I watched the show in 1.25 speed. Okay, here's where I'm going to call you out. <laughs> because that is how you listen to all podcasts, so why is it yeah, not okay for TV? Yes, that's true. I listen. I listen to podcast in one point five speed, actually. Uh, but to watch a, a, a cinematic event, I don't know if I go so far as to call episode three a cinematic event, but still, uh, at one point two five speed, I only did it because I wanted to get to the end, and we were on kind of a time crunch. And as you know, it's hard to schedule these things sometimes. So I'm gonna... I did what I had to do to meet the time that we agreed to and i even then i was late i'm always late but i'm going to i'm going to say i almost did the same thing today 
it's, it, that's like I said, you're rarely going to catch me ever watching five episodes of something in a row because I can't even get to three. Well, I mean, I, I and I've known for quite a while that we were going to do this. Yeah, it's I pretty much hard. I'll do because unlike many people, I have z- absolute zero social life. So when I have a day off, um, I pretty much don't leave my computer chair. So if I'm not doing whatever my creative thing is at the time I'm or listening to a podcast I'm pretty much watching something so that's when I will sort of you know binge a few shows or whatever I'm uh there's also times because like I said before I don't have cable so I use something to fall I watch something to fall asleep or whatever so it will be several episodes in a row of whatever show. But like I said, that's that's the only time that I will uh, utilize that skip button. I actually have yet to do the speed thing with Netflix. Um, a, a mutual friend of ours uh, actually said that he does that with a lot of shows on Netflix, and I, I don't... It, it hurt me to do it. And if I didn't have to, like, rewatch this and, and see everything, you know, to kind of have it fresh in my head, I, I would never would, but... That's too funny to me. <laughs> um... Over this last year, the entertainment space changed drastically. With many TV series being binged, many films seeing digital releases like never before, and many in show business starting or growing their online presence. Many actors, directors, producers, and more began to delve into the world of podcasting. Whether it was actors re-watching and giving behind-the-scenes details on their long-running uh, series, directors appearing to discuss their filmographies, or even comedians launching series to help grow their audience in a time when touring was non-existent, the podcasting landscape changed. And though we at Clock Shelves Entertainment have tried to consistently bring you new content, we know we haven't always kept up our end of the bargain. But we would like to take a moment to thank you for sticking with us. And with so many options out there, we began to question how we exactly fit into the current space. We realized that although we may not have those involved in your favorite Marvel films or your favorite TV series or music genre, we have the unique fan perspective. We have something no one else has. Global reactions, enticing aspects, tantalizing topics in many entertaining scenarios. Yes, we have great times. We have the unique perspective of offering the different viewpoints from literally all around the globe. We'd like to thank you for sticking with us and we hope to continue bringing you more great times ahead. We've always said, Clock Shelves Entertainment is a great way to pass the time. Great times ahead. Uh, episode three, the one that you were just talking about, Rabbit in a Snowstorm, uh, just going along with kind of talking about the credits. So the first two episodes, we said the credits are, are the same, written by Drew Goddard, directed by Phil Abraham. Uh, episode three, written by Marco Ramirez, directed by Adam Kane. Now, I oh, could... What? I said, my God. Oh, um, but 
<laughs> I could be mistaken, but I believe Marco Ramirez actually ended up being the showrunner or one of the main uh, writers when it came to season two of this show instead uh, of yeah. Stephen S. DeKnight, who kind of left. Yeah, he he's credited as the executive producer producer all throughout uh seasons one and two and also the defenders uh wrote six episodes himself uh also wrote 15 episodes of uh sons of anarchy that you previously mentioned and most recently was listed as a creator and i believe showrunner of the net new twilight zone uh series that came out so good for him absolutely and then uh adam by god it's kane uh, this was his only episode of Daredevil that he directed, uh, and he has also directed and produced a great, great many shows, uh, some of which I'm sure you know, but none of which uh, stuck out to me uh, browsing his filmography. Yeah, I'm kind of looking, and and I, I got to say it's not necessarily a name that I recognized in terms of yeah. jumping off the screen but like there's i mean obviously i'm just looking here very quickly i've seen excuse me i've seen pushing daisies i've seen supernatural i've seen like two or three episodes of heroes um you know what i mean things like that but not necessarily unfortunately his is not a name that kind of sticks yeah. out to me like some others he seems like one of those guys and and we've talked about them before that the, they randomly have popped up on on agents of shield and lost is um, not so much lost but um, just kind of move from show to show like you know one episode here one episode there one episode here one episode there you know I, I'm kind of interested I, I'd kind of be interested to talk to somebody like that who's been on so many sets and worked with so many people like what that experience is like and and how that works um, maybe we should work on that new goal hmm. I mean how hard could it be to land an interview on whether it's MCU and me, Paul and all, whatever, with Adam Kane. Adam Kane, are you listening? <laughs> we, we want to talk to you. Let's let's chat. Well, like you said, we do know people in the industry, so I'm sure if we sort of asked around, you go to a lot of the the cons and stuff between you and Bill Kava. Somebody's probably knows somebody who you know. There's six degrees of separation to this guy somehow. Well, if this guy worked on Supernatural, as you said he did, uh, we may have a connection. There you go. Because I know somebody who worked on Supernatural as well. Yep. So. Um. To be continued. But that all being said, like, I mean, again, uh, now, so you said about, about episode three, um, and for me, that's the freshest one in my mind as well, because it is uh, the one that I watched today. Um, and I, I mentioned before about how it there wasn't, for me, enough of a... Like I said, enough of, like, this particular thing was interesting enough for this episode. It did have more of, like, and I think you said it, episode three was sort of the one that was like, here is what the show is going to be. Um, yeah, but it almost... it's, the, it's the first introduction of Ben Urich as well, and, and you know, the newspaper slash journalist uh, essence of it all, which, you know, it's that... 
I don't want to get into spoilers, but you know. Well, no, I was just gonna say it's it's very it's it's almost a a Law and Order type episode. Yes, which... you know, you, you, it's our first time seeing them in the courtroom, which you know you don't get a lot of per se, but it's I was enjoying what what we did see and. Uh, quick question for you. We've mentioned wrestling a couple times. Did John Healy give you some John Moxley vibes, or was that just just me? No, a little bit for sure. That hair, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the look. You know, his kind of his 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 devil will make hair attitude. Definitely. Um, speaking yeah. of which, no time, t- Timely reference, but you know, kudos to Moxley for yes. admitting. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, sorry, I had to take a drink of my Mountain Dew gingerbread snapped can that I have here. Um, ooh, ooh, yeah. Talk to Jake about that. Mountain <laughs> Dew. Um, I don't know. I personally, I, I don't really have much more to uh, to say about uh, these first three episodes. I know. And it kind of happens with Liam, I guess, a lot on these these Marvel uh, episodes. Um, we didn't really talk about the episodes, more sort of the events surrounding the episodes, I guess, and our opinions on sort of the fallouts. But it's something I've talked about with Ellsworth uh, with regards to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 1 and uh, Agent Carter Season 1 and things like that. To me, these episodes are unlike lost with friends where it was sort of a, this happens, this happens, this happens, let's discuss. I feel personally that these podcasts with MCU and me are more of a companion piece in the way that says, instead of us describing what exactly happened in the episode, like I know you said many times when lost with friends was going on, you wouldn't necessarily watch the episode. You would you know, listen to me sort of recap this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Then you would hear the discussion, you know, the breakdown sort of of what we felt about that scene or what have you. I feel like one of the differences that sort of makes MCU and me its own thing is the fact that it acts almost more as a companion piece in the way that says you you as the listener, it's it's sort of your job to have just watched this and then you'll hear us kind of give our opinions on it almost as if it's one of those you know when the when the shows happen and the podcast comes out the next day oh can you believe what just happened on last night's episode or what have you except we're doing it several years later so as much as we didn't necessarily talk about sort of detail by detail i feel like we covered these three episodes about as much as we could without again getting into point by point by point would you agree yeah, and I, I kind of like it that way. Lost with Friends existed as as its own thing. Uh, this is something else. And I like kind of going back and forth and being able to just randomly bring up this or randomly bring up that. Uh, before we do get out of here, I will say just a couple other things that I had jotted down watching these three episodes. I kind of love how they don't beat you over the head with his powers. Uh, like you, you know they're there and you know when he's using them, but they don't try and show you the world as he sees it. You know, I think they did that more in the movie and they really emphasize like his super hearing. You know, some you know, sometimes yeah, you hear the watch ticking and whatnot, but other times he's just standing there, you know, listening. And you you're not even really 
processing what's going on. Um, oh, wait, I so like that. I do want to ask you with that because I kind of referenced it earlier and it is a conversation that you and I, like I said, we've sort of had in the past. Would you consider Matt Murdock, Daredevil, a superhero or just a hero? Uh, he's definitely a superhero. He can do, he can absolutely do things that, uh, a a quote unquote normal human can't do. Like he has obtained a, a higher level of, of skill or consciousness or power than, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and it's, I think it's even more amplified in the comics, but you know, we get a they do a great job of explaining it without beating you over the head with it. That was my, my whole point. Um, what else did I have? Uh, I don't know. Have you, we covered any episodes of agents of shield with absorbing man in, in it yet? Yes, I think yes, so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I thought we did, uh, but we, they, they use the name Creel. Creel is who, uh, Jack Murdoch, faces and knocks out before trying to make his his getaway yes um i think and somebody out there can correct me if i'm wrong like i said it has been a little bit since certain episodes were recorded but i think in season two of agents of shield in the one of the first few batches excuse me of episodes um there is the it's not it's not I don't think it's the uh, the obelisk but it's something and and one of the characters in that is referenced as Creel and I think in that episode I made the comment of like oh yeah they referenced that character name again in Daredevil and I don't know if it's something that you're about to say so if I take your your thunder I apologize but I believe somewhere along the line somebody made the comment of like oh it's a uh grandson or a nephew or something like that because it's the guy the the name in daredevil it's the name of who his father fights but yet the name is used in the present day uh agents of shield pocket of the universe and it's referenced that it's like a like i said like a grandson or something yeah i mean it's never made uh clear as to whether it's the same person or you know i forget exactly if the, if the character Blake Creel on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., how old he was. I think he was probably 40-ish, you know, which doesn't quite line up with uh, Jack Murdoch fighting him in the ring. So, yeah, it would make sense that it's a relative, but they never show him, so we don't know. Um, but, yeah, in the in the comics, uh, Crusher Creel, a.k.a. The Absorbing Man, uh, all the same character. So, just, that's one of many other things that, uh, again, shout out to Mike uh, Cicchini for pointing that out did we have anything else and i'm you know as we said going more and more into this season there's obviously going to be a lot more to talk about but with regards to these first three episodes which we actually never named um the episodes are into the ring cut man and rabbit in a snowstorm uh, was there anything else specifically we wanted to talk about with the first three episodes of season one of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I'm sorry, of Daredevil. Wow. <laughs> Ooh. 
Um, nothing except I really miss uh, bar hopping in New York City. A lot of the streets they show looked familiar to me, and uh, I hope someday soon I'm able to get back and, and uh, find the eel in the bottom of a bottle. I've never done that. I've also never been as adventurous as you, sir. So um, You have stumbled around the streets of New York City. I've seen it. Oh, I definitely have, for sure. Um, <laughs> I actually just told a story about that recently. About uh, it, was, it wasn't the last time I was in New York. Actually, I try not to remember the last time I was in New York City. Um, but one of the times... Perhaps we should rectify that. Soon. I keep saying I need a new, a new New York City memory, for sure. Um, but uh, one of the previous times to that was... Um, I actually tried a new drink with you. Um, Want to say a Roy Rogers? Is that what it was? Uh, um, I think. Then we tried. Then because it was something you had ordered at a different place, there was like something with a gigantic. It was instead of ice cubes, it was a, a ice ball, and there was like smoke coming out of the drink and whatnot. Um, yeah, great drink. What's that? Great drink. Yes. Um, and we actually got to see the Australian friends and, and what have you. So that was one of the, the last uh, memories, good memories from New York that I have. I do want to clarify, just not that they're ever going to listen to this, parts of my last trip to the city. I got to see uh, Patty and John, fellow Losties. Not a bad not a bad uh, part of the trip. So just the entire trip wasn't bad, but there's one particular aspect. If you know, you know that I try no, not no, to remember fair. so much. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, perhaps we, uh, I, I might have something for you where we can create some new memories. Uh, we'll talk off air. All right. Um, so until, uh, well, actually just as a bit of a tease. So, um, Again, in addition to trying to do things a bit differently um, with regards to, like I, I, I said before about sort of the difference between Lost with Friends and MCU and me, and for anybody who's been sort of following along with this, there are sort of differences in between each television series and I again I know Kevin sort of has a distinction between Netflix series and television series and what have you, but um, the show's never aired on television, technically. I, I understand. I use TV as a umbrella term. I Fair. do I do agree with what you're saying, though. Um, with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it started out where it was you and Ellsworth and myself, and then Ellsworth and I sort of continued it, and both you and uh, Liam sort of popped up. We did the transition from Ellsworth to Liam is the the sort of the co-host, I guess, if you will, of season two. Um, again, with uh, Ellsworth popped up there, things like that. Um, with uh, Agent Carter, it was actually Ellsworth and Lisa on all of the episodes to sort of, you know, a, th- a three three man booth, as you would say, a three person booth um, for that series. And so to sort of set the tone a bit different with regards to this being daredevil um i I thought one of the interesting things could be alternating sort of uh 
guest hosts, if you will. So the next time you hear us talking about Daredevil, there is a very high chance that Kevin will not necessarily be on there, but he will be back talking about Daredevil before you know it. So in the meantime, Kevin, where can they find you all around the internet? At 7th Power, replace the V with the number 7, across all forms of social media. Of course, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JPGRB. Find my second Instagram, take a picture every day at JPCS.PICS. You can find all sorts of stuff from Kevin, myself, various other people we've named, various other shows we've discussed, topics we've discussed, all sorts of everything and anything you could want at Clock Shelves on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, Clockshelves.com is the hub for everything. Throw some dough if you choose to do so over at Patreon.com slash Clockshelves where you get this and all the other podcasts uh, early and uninterrupted. And if you are uh, confused, it's Clockshelves, all one word, C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. It has been so long since I've actually spelled that out in that particular rhythm. (laughs) It felt weird and good at the same time. Uh, (laughs) I, uh, I I can't necessarily think of anything else to say, but until next time, thanks for listening, true believers. <laughs>